Hey everybody, this is John with Ubaldi Reports, the one website that provides fact, not fiction, on issues facing America, whether internationally or domestically. With me is my fellow co-host Joe Bitts and Ray Krause. Both of them are Marines. Joe was a combat Marine who was wounded in Iraq, and we're just three enlisted Marines talking about issues facing America and just providing fact, not fiction. So, there's a lot to talk about, but today's podcast is strictly going to be a re- revolving around we're 100 days out from the midterm elections, and is Washington paying attention to the issues that you're concerned about, or they're more, more or less focusing on issues they're concerned about? And what would be the issues? What are the top issues right now when it comes to America? It depends who you talk to. If you talk to the Washington Democratic Beltway, They're focused on climate change, January 6th, LGBTQ issues, where most of Americans are focused primarily on we got high inflation, gas prices, even though they're coming down, but still gas prices are much higher than they were January 2021. And then also food prices and shortages. We still have shortages of baby formula, and the shelves are, I think they're short like 33%. And many families can't get the baby formula they need. And this is going to be something they're going to be facing all the way into the fall and early winter. So these are the issues Americans are facing. And then crime in our urban core or cities. I work at a a company that deals that supplies law enforcement, its equipment and its vehicles. But we also sell firearms and we've got people coming in and they're scared to death. They want a firearm for protection. I was reading something on the news. Even in the blue states, citizens are wanting to arm themselves just so they have something to protect themselves. So there's a fear out there. But this isn't what Washington's talking about. They're so consumed with climate change, LBGTQ issues, the cultural issues, and not enough on kitchen table topics of how am I going to feed my family? How am I going to fill up my tank of gas? Can I get the items that I need? This is what Americans are concerned about. Well, we got something already. Okay. I'm going to do Darnell Lesper, if that's right. Let me know. What does any president have to do with worldwide global inflation? Well, there's two parts to that. A lot of it, not so much, but then there's a lot of parts they do. And one of the big things is... What's driving a lot of this is rising fuel prices. Europe is going through this right now. Now they're getting, I know it's August, but you have to look two or three months down the road. There looks like there's going to be a shortages of natural gas, and they're beholden to to Russia. It's the same thing here in this country. Energy prices are coming down, but in a couple months, we're going to be into the fall and into the winter where it starts getting cold, especially up in the Northeast. And we have a shortage of natural gas, so that's going to cause problems there. Now, our inflation is much higher than some parts of Europe and some parts of the Asian economy. So it does have what sometimes what the president does have a ripple effect across the, the country, across the world. And there's old adage when America coughs, the world gets a, gets a cold. So. Presidents have some say about the inflation, not just here, but sometimes abroad. With the building up of monkeypox, are they kind of are they trying to put like another pandemic in effect or another? It could be. I mean, I don't have much information on that. I was just listening to some of the experts. We do have the vaccine for the monkeypox. We've had it for a considerable amount of time, but. 
they just haven't produced enough of the vaccine for monkeypox where you're still seeing a shortages across the country. So with the 100 days coming up, is there what's the Biden administration? Are they doing anything to kind of back the Democrats in order to have them to have a successful midterm? Or is it just kind of throwing them out to the wolves? So repeat, I'm sorry, repeat that question again. So is the Biden administration kind of backing up the Democrats well, when it comes to these midterms to kind of or is he, are they just like, hey, you're on your own for this one. We got other things we're well, working on. Right now, no matter what the Biden administration does, it's going to be a little bit too late. And they're still doubling down like this recent potential passage of the Manchin Schumer bill, which is titled the Inflation Reduction Act. It does nothing to reduce inflation. It has it. And you have the Wharton School of Business and you have others um, who rate this. And these are nonpartisan groups that this has nothing to do with reducing inflation it has everything to create, to lessen the job creation, reduce jobs, and it also is just going to increase the deficit. So, But what the president's doing, there's nothing he can do right now that's going to starve off what's going to happen come November because it takes time. It's like the old adage, you can't turn a carry around on a dime. Well, you can't turn the economy around on a dime. And he's not changing his policies. What does Texas race have to say, Ray? He said, why is Joe filling in the gaps, quote unquote, of the wall, but he said not another inch would be built? It could be that he's just, he doesn't want this to be a, a major campaign issue. And Arizona was one of those battleground states that flipped from Republican to Democrat in 2020. And he, I think he wants to try to shore up that, that base to make sure it doesn't become a losing state for him. Well, with that also, would it be considered Biden finishing what Trump started or is it Biden finishing know, or just kind of finishing the wall and what Trump put in place? It's, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. It's also could, Biden can say, yeah, the border is secure because that's the whole mantra they've been saying. <clears throat> the border is secure. Joe Biden has said that. Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Director, said the border is secure. And this is the most secure it's ever been. And when evidence um, alludes elsewhere, and then I work at this law enforcement aid company, and we get a lot of federal law enforcement agencies that come in. And we get a lot of Homeland Security and some of the Border Patrol agents uh, as well. And they tell me the same thing. It's worse than it's ever being reported right now, especially I talked to last week. I talked to a civilian who works for the Coast Guard, dealing with customs. And he said that the illegal amount of illegal drugs, especially marijuana, but most importantly, fentanyl is just pouring across the border. And that's a problem because there's more people being dying from the ages of 18 to 49 that are dying from any other diseases combined. So we're getting a lot of questions from Darnell on TikTok. Well, why don't you go for it? Right? I'm going to go with the, what are the current unemployment numbers? One, what are the current job creation numbers? Two, how is the start stock market doing? Three, and then how many do deportations have ha happened under Biden? Well, the last one on the de deportations, they've dropped considerably. I don't have the exact numbers. I would have to look at Homeland Security, but these are far b well below where they were under President Donald Trump and even below where they were under 
Barack Obama, who was nicknamed the deporter-in-chief. Also, there's been record numbers of illegals entering the country. It was close to 2 million um, in 2021. We just set the record for 2022, and we still haven't gone through the full month of August and September. So we could be well over 3 million, and that's not including the gotaways, the one that the Border Patrol agents haven't apprehended. Now, as for unemployment numbers, they have come down, but you have to look deeper into the numbers. I think it's like 3.6%. And we'll know more on Friday when July's unemployment numbers are released. And what I mean by that is it's 3.6 from the last unemployment report, but also we're still about so many so many people not in the labor force if you look at it. If you look at the 4.4 million out of the labor force, they're not counted. So we would should be well over 5% because the labor participation rate is still a million and two, or almost 2 million jobs short of where we were prior to the pandemic. So going with, so technically, or depending on how whoever defines it, we are in a recession, but are there any positive numbers when it comes to defining that number? We know both know, we all know that negative GDP growth in two quarters means recession. Correct. But if if unemployment's up or if there are surges when it comes to job numbers and stuff like that, would that maybe contradict the GDP? It all depends because when the um, you're right that two quarters in a row of negative GDP typically signifies a recession. The Biden administration is hanging its hat on. Look at the amount of the jobs that are being created. But if you go back to the actual numbers and you look deeper into that, there are more people out of the labor force. Our labor participation rate is still 2 million individuals out of the labor force than we were of January, I mean, excuse me, February 2020. So, but if you also look at, I just saw something today that debt by family has skyrocketed. Because of inflation, people are having to dip into their savings or into their credit card to pay for things that they normally wouldn't have had to pay for. So you have that, then you have the housing starts have come down. A lot of other key metrics have dropped considerably. Small businesses are having problems. And the unemployment, because we came out of a pandemic, employers needed workers, so they're reluctant to shed these workers. But now you're seeing in July, first-time claims for unemployment insurance claims went up for the first time in eight months. So we're going to get a better gauge, or at least an idea of where we're at come Friday. So, you know, you have this nice saying, you can't you can't turn an aircraft carrier on a dime. Correct. Is there anything that the Democratic Party could do in order to kind of maybe garner that support or maybe even come in a little bit better when it comes to this election coming up in the next 100 days? Well, what they need to do is... They need to reverse course, and they need to do a 180-degree course correction. That means you have to – the biggest one is you have to take the boot off the back of the our energy sector. Europe is screaming for natural gas. We could sell them all the natural gas because we got plenty of it. You can get the oil companies to drill. That, all, that means you have to take the financial pressure off them. They, don't, they can't get the capital – 
And they're based that when they look at things, they don't look at two, three months to an election. They look at five years down the road, 10 years. So if they're going to invest in new drilling permits or do drilling leases, they also want to make sure the infrastructure is there. So that means they're going to need capital. Take the Keystone XL pipeline. How many companies invested in that pipeline to only see the government say, we're going to shut it down? They lose their investment. So right now, there's no incentive for the energy companies to invest back into the production in America. So, But then you also have to get rid of the tax burden and the regulatory burden that has been placed on small businesses. You do some of those things, that will at least send a message that you're serious about fixing some of these problems. And that includes fixing the supply chain problem, working with the companies. How do we fix to make sure we have food in our grocery store shelves? How do we end the supply chain problem with regarding baby formula and the like? So you start working on that, can at least send a message. So I'm going to read this. Zenobia921, inflation punishes the prudent while crypto gives future hopes. Your thought? I'm not too well versed on the crypto side, but inflation does does punish the average middle class workers because when they go to the grocery store, they're on a tight budget. So that means that their their food costs, like okay, take you guys, Joe, you're a family man. Yeah. You go to the grocery store, egg prices are a little higher than they were a year ago. Yeah. Meat, chicken, fish, vegetables. <coughs> Gas prices are much higher. It costs more to do things that you once did. Even for you, Ray, you're, we're both under that same very tight budget. Rent is much more expensive now than it was a year ago or oh, two yeah. years ago. If you want to get an, uh, an apartment, it costs much more to get that same apartment than it would have uh, a year, two years ago. And then if you decide to go, well, I got to get something cheaper, that means you got a little further out. And you got to commute in. That means more gas. And if you want to get a newer car or upgrade your car, you can't find it because costs have gone up. So costs have gone up on everything. All right. So good old Beach Baby has a good question for us. Okay. How do we get back to having government work for the people? It seems to have gotten lost. Well, that's, a, think, that's an easy answer right Well, the there. big way to get for government <laughs> to get back to the to working for the American people is get the government smaller. The government has gotten much larger over the decades, but it becomes less efficient. We've seen that, okay, all of us come from the, the military. We've seen the VA, and we've seen the inefficiencies there. Government has gotten less efficient, but has gotten larger, not better. So I would say make it smaller, gut out the waste in government. So it's not, they're not duplicating each other. What is their core mission of each government agency and make them force them to work off their core mission, not go off on these little tangents. Well, Robert Steed on TikTok put up a, maybe a, I don't know how you figure this point out, but it says if they are tight, if people are tight on their budget, they aren't middle class. That doesn't, I don't think that. I don't want to, I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah. There's a, you can be tight on your budget and not be in the middle class. I mean, I'm not, I don't put myself in the middle class because I'm struggling and Joe and Ray know my financial situation, but I'm living basically paycheck to paycheck. Well, but also like, how does, how do you define middle class? Is it, 
your yearly income? Is it there's a certain, or, or is it just like your net worth? There's a certain there's a certain income level that this defines you of lower club, middle class, middle class, upper middle class, and then it goes into the next level from up into the wealthy areas. Okay. But everybody's on a budget, but even right now you can still be middle class but on a very tight budget, and your dollar doesn't go as far as it once did. So what's this new, I guess, Build Back Better plan, smaller, that Manchin just kind of jumped dumped in? What it is- the infl- What was it called? The inflation what? It's the inflation reduction plan. <laughs> okay. Now- <laughs> That's going to be real funny. Oh my God. Okay. But <laughs> that's, they, that's hilarious. They, they put something in, and what it does, it gives more money for climate change. It gives more money for, or well, actually taxes more, and then it adds more- gives a bigger budget to the IRS to go after so-called tax cheats. But it hasn't passed yet, and we'll know by Friday because the one senator who has to sign off on it, and she's been eerily silent, is Kristen Cinema from Arizona. Okay, so she could be the savior of not letting that go through. She could say, I'm not supporting this. So why was Manchin the target? Because Manchin's been always the target for the whole time. He's been taking a lot of the arrows that the Democrats threw, threw at him because he was reluctant to go along with this. And Kristen Cinema was number two, but because he caved, and one of the reasons, that, the speculation that he caved, he gets a pipeline that goes across his state into West into Virginia. So, and it does, and there's other tax, I think it was the Tax Foundation. They, is a nonpartisan group, they ruled that this does nothing to reduce the debt. It actually increases the debt. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, increases inflation. Over the course of a number of years, you had the Wharton School of Business and Pen- University of Pennsylvania said the same thing. So this is not going to really help the Democrat, and it's misnamed as the Inflation Reduction Act, which it does nothing to do to reduce inflation. Well, it's just like if you want a bill passed, put it every veteran – gets a home bill and if you don't sign it you hate veterans kind of thing well that was the whole thing and the whole it was the republicans did a bad job of explaining it and it was basically discretionary and non-discretionary and there was 400 billion dollars that the democrats if they passed the original plan went through over the weekend they could have used that 400 billion dollars for anything they wanted that was not related to veterans and that's what the Republicans needed to sell. But it was John Stewart got up there and just lashed out at Republicans. And it was so unfair and not – it was disingenuous for him to do that because he didn't explain why the Republicans voted the way they did. You know, I got a great idea. You let veterans speak on whatever bill you're trying to pass for them because we're the ones that kind of look into it and find out the nitty-gritty. And just like some other – Veteran organizations or non-for-profits kind of use veterans to kind of fund their... But see, the other thing, Joe, is a lot of these bills, almost all the bills passed by Congress, they need to be standalone bills. Because what they do, like the transportation bill, they'll add so much pork into that, that if you vote no, you're the bad person, but nobody looks at what's also in that bill. Well, is there something they can do about that? Well, they used to be able to, until recently, got rid of earmarks and amendments, but that's part of the legislative process. They need to eliminate that to a, that everything that's going to be put in has to come to a vote on that particular amendment. It can't just be added in at the last minute where nobody knows about it, and then you got you, then you're sitting down reading, 
this 2,000-page bill. That would eliminate a lot of our deficit spending and getting a lot of items that are unnecessary because it fits into somebody's demographic. I'm going to I'm going to say this Darnell stated it's in the bill that all funding must be used for veteran care. That's partly true, but it, there was a part of that bill, the original one, there was in whether discretionary or non-discretionary that part of that 400 billion dollars could go to wherever they deemed necessary whether it was related to veterans or not. It didn't even have to be part of the burn pit issue. He also followed up saying any funding reallocation would have to have been approved by Congress. True and not true, because a lot of times Congress throws things in and they don't get the approval. They just It's like that discretionary bill. It gets in and then they can spend it how they want to spend it. So what maybe so that the Republicans have like a successful midterm what can they do? Are they, can they like stay the course? Is that Trump stamp of approval? Is that benefiting these it can uh, go, candidates? It can go two ways. Some would say that's a benefit. Some would say that's a negative. For the Republicans to be successful, they got to take the playbook of Glenn Youngkin, who won in Virginia back in November of 2021. Stick to the core issues that Americans are, fa- are focused on. That is inflation, gas prices, energy, I mean, energy prices, food prices, education, Crime, things that are tangible to them. I wouldn't put spend so much time on the cultural issues. Everybody knows Republicans tend to be pro-life. You can put that as an issue, but your core issue should be how are you going to tackle rising fuel prices, gas prices? What are you going to do about inflation? What are you going to do about food prices and then crime? How are you going to... solve the crime so people feel safe walking their neighborhoods. You stick to those and the Re- Republicans will be successful. So for like you personally, are you more of a party line voter or have you kind of maybe gone looked at independents or Democrats in certain I'm uh, more in, of a, in, in certain areas. Years ago I was strictly party line voter. Strictly Republican. Now as I got older and I started to read more and understand more, I'm still conservative but I I lean sometimes more independent, more pragmatist till we can get back to we've got to reduce our debt. I would criticize some of the Republicans, especially when they talk about national defense. I'm a big supporter of national defense, but at the same time, our defense budget is so bloated that there needs to be reductions and we need to streamline the federal government. And I've said this many times on this program. We need to reduce the federal government to make it more effective. Because we get a bigger government doesn't make it more more effective. Okay. Like example, I would talk, take the Department of Agriculture. You're moving out of Washington. You're going to Kansas or Iowa. That's where the constituency, that's where the farming communities are at. Okay. That And then cut back the department to only the that deals with legislation stays in Washington. Everybody else is out into the hinterlands. So where would you put the IRS? The IRS, will they can stay where they are because they have to be centered in Washington, I guess, but they can be scaled back to see what are you? what is your job. Your job is to collect the taxes, but we need to make sure you're more efficient than you are now because we what we do is we give government billions of dollars, but we don't look at where is that money going. So Ray kind of threw a TikTok at me earlier today. Does the EPR, EPA have a task force? 
or what do you mean a task force? Like a, like a, like they were drawing guns and they were kind of hemming up the, this couple for I guess illegally selling race car parts. Was that it? Uh, yeah, auto parts. Yeah, they were illegally selling auto parts, but I mean it was like EPA on the jacket and they were just like guns drawn holding them down. Now, does does the IRS have like the same kind of This has an investigative agency to it, component to it to go after tax crimes, but it depends how they've been expanded. But are they going to draw guns now, on you if you avoid your taxes? With the EPA what you're going to, I haven't seen that, and I would have to look into that a little bit more, but a lot of these federal agencies have gotten so big and so large, and they've gone beyond their stated mandate that a lot of these agencies could save the government a lot more money by shrinking, but becoming more effective, going by what is your mission of the EPA? What is the mission of the IRS? And stick to your mission, much like what the Supreme Court said in that West Virginia case. You guys need to stay in your lane and let the lawmakers, the Congress, do its job and that's telling Congress you need to do your job. Darnell, I see what you're commenting, but I'm going to take this one. What can the federal government do about crime in Kansas? They can use a lot of federal resources. Some of the crime, they can help with more money for federal training, well, have federal agents train local law enforcement community. But the biggest problem with the rising crime is a lot of these urban core like Philadelphia, Chicago, we know about New York. The cities have progressive prosecutors who want to change the criminal justice system by not prosecuting people. So the, a lot of the crime is localized. Murder, robbery, these are all localized crimes. The feds can help out by training these, but if without doing bail reform, rechanging the criminal justice, so you're actually charging people when they commit crimes, and holding them accountable. That's not happening in a lot of these urban centers. So it would virtually change out all the people who get to kill somebody and they get probation or two years well, and then they get back out on the street. Look at the example in New York. It was last week. You had a 16-year-old kid attack two police officers. He was fighting with the one police officer. And then when they arrested him, he goes to court. Prior to the attack on the police officer, he had... A robbery charge, a weapons charge with having a loaded firearm, and an assault on a police officer. He's 16 years old. What did he get? They released him to on his own recognizance, and then I think he got like a work farm. That was it. Now, th two, three of those charges were serious felonies. Right. But he got released. What does that say about crime in America? That it's okay. <laughs> Well, Rita, Rita's last comment, it was really good. Oh, okay. Crime in cities are about poverty. You don't address the reasons for crime. The cycle continues. That's a good point. If you look at the poverty is a lot of the problems, but also education is. And when I say by education, my father only had a fifth grade education. You look at across the, these urban core in a lot of these states, 70%, and this isn't me saying this, and I've said this numerous times, 70% of black and Hispanic children are deficient at grade level in math and, and English. We spend as a nation $800 billion between the federal, state, and local level on education. But yet we have one of the lowest uh, achievement gaps or achievement levels of any industrialized country. So if you want to fix poverty, you've got to fix education.
But look at these edu- these, these cities, these schools. Take Baltimore. They, this is before the pandemic. There were nine out of 13 high schools. Nine out of 13. Of those nine, there were there had about 3,000, 3,500 kids. Not one could pass the state exam. Not one. So you're graduating kids who can't read at a proper level or can't do English at a proper level. What kind of job are they getting? That perpetuates that po- that, that, po- that poverty system. So I kind of want to maybe gear up for next week where, I mean, we've come to this before and we're kind of facing it right now with Biden and you're trying to look for someone to kind of take his spot. Let's look at it like between the three of us, who would be a good contention okay. for the next president, but from like your view or from our view of who would be a good Democratic representative for the next election? No, there's two candidates. I'll just throw this out there. I can't remember their names. There's the governor of Kentucky. He's in a red state, but he's a Democrat. And then there's the governor of Rhode Island I was reading a little bit about. He also has a pretty good moderate. These are two moderate Democrats. Okay. So I could look at them, look at their record, look what they're about. Yeah. And then we can see how they would fare in this in the current climate that we're in. Okay, John. So how can they go about getting a hold of you? They can get a hold of us by going to ubaldireports at gmail.com. That's ubaldireports at gmail.com. Or you can go to all our social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, obviously TikTok. We're on Getter. Getter. We're on t- Tumblr. No, we're not on Tumblr yet. Okay. I don't think we want to be there. Okay. Getter. But we're on a lot of these different platforms. And then you can check all these different streaming sites and you can see our past episodes of what's going on. Yes. So, and Ray, you are really heavily into the Second Amendment, so if they won't have any questions for you, how can they get a hold of you? So we could talk anything about guns, Second Amendment, gun control, the bills. You get a hold of me at Raymond.aags, Raymond at, at gmail.com. And just to add, they haven't moved anything on the HR 1808. They have two days left to do it. If not, they're going to do it after the when they come back after Labor Day. Okay. The one thing I would like to say is that I'd like to thank everybody who commented on this. Some of these were great questions. Troy, we try to answer them the best as we can, and we'll try to keep following up with these questions. So keep the questions coming. So I'd like to thank you for chiming in. We love this debate back and forth. We may not agree on everything. But at least we have a cordial debate to discuss what's going on in America. Yes. And you can hear Ray and I on All American Gunslingers. That is our podcast where we kind of get a little bit loose and a little un. We get very unpolitically correct. Trust me, they do. (laughs) And uh, you can check us out. Uh, We do a live stream at 630 at All American Gunslingers on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. We are on Getter Truth. We are on Twitch. So you can reach out to us at allamericangunslingers at gmail.com if you want some more information. And we will talk to you guys soon. And keep following Ubaldi Reports till next Wednesday at 730 Eastern Standard Time. Keep following Ubaldi Reports.